that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the project accelerator and vanished. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is Episode 7, The Kamikaze Kid. From his driver's license, I discovered I had leaped into one Cam Wilson, a 17-year-old hot rod jockey who loved junk food and had the zits to prove it. Al, what year is this? 1961. Great. The tail end of the most immature period in history. All the guys still drink malts, drive hot rods, and wear butch wax in their hair. And the girls all have pillow fights, chat on the phone, blind dates, and get their panties raided. Uh, those were the good old days. According to Ziggy, there's an 82.6% chance you're here to keep Cheryl from marrying Bob. They look like the perfect couple. Bob ends up selling used cars for his father and getting arrested a lot of times for drunken driving. He also appears to have been a mean drunk. We didn't hit her. Well, let's just say she had more than her share of accidental falls. First time my sister got married, she was 17. Guess she wanted to get away from the farm. He drank a lot. And when he got drunk... I'm sorry, Sam. She was too afraid to leave. Too ashamed to tell anyone. She was my sister. She is my sister. I should have known. Maybe I could have helped her. Maybe I could have... saved her from a lot of pain. Yeah, but it, it wasn't your fault. Maybe not. But if I can't stop Cheryl from marrying Bob, it will be. Welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And we have a great show today. It's all about the Kamikaze Kid. And uh, we thought it would be a lighthearted episode about drag racing and teenagers, but turns out it's uh, got a moral and a message to it, which is kind of heavy. We're talking about domestic violence today, along with everything else in this episode of Quantum Leap. There's some fun stuff. And later on in the episode, we have a great interview with Rita Smith. She is the executive director of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I got an interview with her because this episode is in part about domestic violence because Sam's trying to save his sister from marrying an abusive man. And I wanted to understand more about like domestic violence and uh, what causes it and what things can be done if you like are in a situation where you are a victim of violence in your family. So that's a great interview and that's coming up later in the show. Heather, what did you think of Kamikaze Kid? This was a good one. I liked the moral message that went on and I liked that he saved his sister and she got to go to the Peace Corps. It kind of made all the guys in this episode look like jerks. (laughs) 
all of them were like a-holes except for, of course, Sam, because he's the good guy. Well, Sam's dad and the, well, yeah, all of them. All of them were collectively (laughs) jerks. The only people that weren't jerks in this episode were Sam and that little kid that played Michael Jackson. And Al, if you count Al. I don't know, spying on women, trying on lingerie. Yeah, he is kind of a perv. <laughs> so, but the only good guy in this episode was Sam. Pretty much. But that's that's who he is. He's the good guy. But yeah, even he even spit out the cigarette in the beginning. Like, oh, I don't smoke, and everybody was smoking inside and outside, and everybody was smoking the whole episode. Yeah, it was 1961, so I guess everybody did that back then. To me, you know, it seemed like the 50s, even though it was 1961. But that. The 50s don't end at 1959 on December 31st, so I guess that spills over a little bit into the 60s. Well, yeah. You still think it's the 90s, so. <laughs> Eventually, I'll think it's the zeros. What, what do you call those? The zeros? The O's? The, I have the, no idea. The aughts? The aughts? I think the 2000s? The 2000s? Okay. Every, I don't know. That whole decade, I asked everybody, what is this decade called? And nobody could answer it. Well, this decade we're in now is the tens. I, I don't that know. Would make twenties. Everybody knows twenties and up, but before that, it's all a little. Hazy. Yeah, but it so wouldn't we... be the twenties again. Yeah, it'll be the twenties again. But you can't reference it as the twenties because you wouldn't know which century you're talking about. Okay, then why did they call it the twenties in the nineteen twenties when people were still thinking the twenties was the eighteen twenties? Are we off topic? <laughs> Slightly. With that, Heather, the episode recap, please. All right. Season one, episode eight, The Kamikaze Kid. Original broadcast date, May 10th, 1989. Written by Paul Brown and directed by Alan J. Levy. Sam leads Cindy Cam while competing in a drag race against another teenager. After the race, Sam drives to a local takeaway to order lunch, where he is harassed by a group of bullies known as the Impalas. Moments later, Cam's older sister, Cheryl, arrives with her fiancé, Bob, a close friend to the Impalas. Cheryl excitedly announces to Sam that she and Bob have been accepted into the Peace Corps and are preparing to travel to Tonga after their wedding. Meanwhile, the Impalas have now begun bullying a young tomboy named Jill. They steal her purse and begin throwing it around to one another. Sam intervenes by grabbing the purse and handing it back to Jill. Embarrassed, Jill tearfully flees the scene while Cheryl goes after her to offer comfort. Cheryl tells Jill that the Impalers are merely insecure juveniles. Jill says that she would never date any of them, though she would date Cam. Cheryl says she will pass on the news despite Jill's opposition. Cheryl and Bob leave, while the Impalas gather around Sam to administer punishment upon him. They pin him down, strip off his clothes, carry him to a garbage bin, and hurl him inside. Jill witnesses Sam's attempting to climb out of the garbage bin, naked, and gathers his clothes to give back to him. She is flattered that Sam was punished for standing up for her. Now clothed again, Sam proceeds to eat his takeaway lunch while Al tells him about his mission. He explains that, though Cheryl and Bob appear to be a happy couple, Bob is in fact a mean-spirited drunk who regularly beats Cheryl. After they got married, Bob never lived up to his promise of joining the Peace Corps, and Cheryl never got to see the world like she wanted to. Sam suddenly remembers that his own sister, Katie, married at the age of 17 to a young man who is also an abusive alcoholic, and that like Cheryl, she never told anyone or left him because she was ashamed and scared. Disturbed by the memory of his sister's painful circumstances, Sam is determined to prevent Cheryl from suffering the same fate. Back at home, Sam notices that Cheryl is jittery about the big changes in her life, her marriage, college graduation, leaving home, and joining the Peace Corps. 
He encourages her to delay the wedding until after the Peace Corps, but she says Bob won't go unless they get married beforehand. Sam advises her that maybe Bob is the wrong man for her, stating that he has a drinking problem. Cheryl defends Bob and is upset at Sam for criticizing him. The next day, Cheryl is trying on Bob's mother's wedding dress and becomes flustered with wedding preparations. The knot at the back of the dress becomes entangled, and while helping her fix it, Sam notices bruises on the back of Cheryl's neck. Sam demands that she admit that Bob caused them, but she runs off, telling Sam to drop the matter. Bob arrives to visit Cheryl, carrying flowers. Sam confronts him over Cheryl's bruises. Bob professes ignorance, and Sam responds by grabbing Bob's neck and demonstrating how such bruises are usually inflicted on a person. Bob becomes angry and throws the flowers he is holding in Sam's face, then storms off. That evening, Sam attends Cheryl and Bob's wedding rehearsal. Bob's father, a used car salesman, shows up, visibly drunk and boasting about a recent car sale. Sam tries to warn Cheryl that Bob will become the same way, but Cheryl ignores him. Later during dinner, Sam is seated at the children's table. Bob announces to the audience his wedding gift to Cheryl, a colored TV set. Sam stands up to make a speech. He praises Cheryl for having the courage to join the Peace Corps and help the less fortunate while jokingly thanking Bob for the TV, since he and Cheryl will be in Tonga and will be forced to leave the TV set behind. Al arrives and congratulates Sam on the speech. He asks Sam about his progress in stopping the marriage. Sam says Cheryl won't listen to him because she perceives him as a dorky kid. One of the Impalas notices Sam talking to thin air and throws food in his face. Sam tells Al they should continue their conversation in a more private setting. The two retreat to the bathroom where young Michael Jackson briefly enters and Sam shows him a few of Jackson's famous dance moves. Meanwhile, Bob and his father loudly approach the bathroom. Sam hides in one of the cubicles and overhears Bob's father telling Bob that he has just made him a partner in his used car business and has bought him a house as a wedding gift. Bob asks his father to keep the news a secret as Cheryl will be upset when she finds out he is taking the house and his father's job offer and has no intention of joining the Peace Corps. Bob's father recommends that getting Cheryl pregnant after the wedding will further stall her ambitions and force her to stay home. Sam reports the details of the conversation to Cheryl, who angrily confronts Bob about the matter. Bob tells her he is going to reject his dad's offer after the wedding. Sam accuses Bob of lying and Bob lashes out at him. Cheryl tells him to stop or she will cancel the wedding. Al advises Sam to challenge Bob to a drag race, the winner of which will inherit the other's car. Sam does so and the Impalas burst out into laughter. Bob accepts the challenge and mockingly tells Sam to meet him at the underpass the next day. Sam questions Al's recommendation and Al explains that if Sam wins the race, Bob will explode in anger and reveal his true violent nature to everyone and convince Cheryl to finally break up with him. Sam agrees that this is a good idea, however, the further problem is that Bob has the fastest car on the boulevard. Al tells Sam to inject the car with nitrous oxide, which will give the car enough short-term speed to win the race against Bob. The next day, Jill helps Sam install the nitrous oxide tank into the car's intake manifold, hooked up to a triggering mechanism at the front of the car. Sam arrives for the race against Bob with Cheryl, Jill, and the Impalas as spectators. Bob and the Impalas tell Sam to prepare to lose his car. The race gets underway and Bob races ahead of Sam. Al appears next to Sam and advises him to wait until the last minute before triggering the nitrous oxide. As he does so, Sam's car surges ahead and overtakes Bob, comfortably winning the race. Sam gets out of the car, cheered by Cheryl and Jill, while the Impalas groan in defeat. Bob, angry and embarrassed, slams his foot on the accelerator and attempts to run Sam down. Sam quickly dives out of the way and Bob crashes into a pillar. With the car wrecked, Bob angrily gets out of the car and throws the car keys at Sam. Cheryl, horrified that Bob attempted to kill her little brother, removes her engagement ring and dumps Bob. Bob grabs Cheryl by the arm and tells her she isn't leaving him. Sam slides over the hood of his car and punches Bob in the face and tells him to stay away from Cheryl. Bob instructs the Impalas to take Sam out. 
The Impalas refuse, agreeing that Bob's violent actions were inexcusable. Everyone leaves Bob by himself while Jill throws Bob's pink slip to the ground, allowing him to keep his now wrecked car. Later, Sam sees Cheryl off at the airport as she prepares to leave for Tonga on her Peace Corps mission alone. Sam wishes her well and Cheryl tells him she has a surprise waiting for him in the courtyard. Sam goes out to see what it is. Jill is awaiting him. Having shed her tomboy image and gotten dolled up in a dress and makeup, Sam discovers that Jill has never kissed anyone before and with Al's advice awards Jill with her first kiss before leaping. Thank you very much, Heather. So what did you think about this episode? I really liked it, even though we were expecting a lighthearted one after we had kind of a heavy one last episode, and this one was kind of heavy. I think with this episode, we learned a lot more about Sam and a lot more about his sister and his feelings towards his sister and how that really affected him. And when he was put in this situation where he could help Cheryl, Cam's sister, I think it gave him a chance to redeem himself for not helping his sister originally when he was a kid, which he couldn't do. Yeah, you could see the look on his face when Al tells him what's going on with Cheryl. You can tell that it really hurt him. Yeah, it was very close to his heart, this whole situation. It was just as serious as an issue as last episode. I mean, violence and abuse is a very real and horrible thing that people experience every day. Yeah, I think back then, I mean, it was probably more prevalent because if it was happening, people would just ignore it or act like it didn't happen. I don't know. I mean, I know that that's why women fought for their rights and that was such a big deal back then because... If you notice the women in this episode, they made excuses for their men and they sat quietly and looked unpleased by their comments, but they didn't say anything. They were very unhappy, it looked like. And I was confused why Cheryl would want to join them being unhappy with a man that she didn't like. But when you're in a situation like that, you know you're like you're comfortable with those evils. It's easier to stay with the bad situation you're in than it to be in a new situation that might be worse. I guess back then, and that's what people were thinking, but it's always best probably to get out of a abusive relationship. Oh, yeah. But I, I think back then women didn't really have that many options either. I mean, you, divorce wasn't that popular then. Right. Women, women had rights back then, but not really. Right. Not like it is today. But even still today, I, I know a lot of people that have been in abusive relationships and you get to a point where you don't think you deserve any better. The abuser usually convinces you that it's your fault or that it's, a, that it's an accident. They didn't mean to do it. They were drunk. They, you know, they do grand gestures to make up for it, even though it was still really bad. Alcohol did seem to play a big part in everybody's being a jerk in this episode, I think. Right. There was a lot of drinking going on. So that might have been another issue that was in here, drinking. Alcoholism, for sure. Right. Bad for you. Usually, um, alcohol inhibits your judgment, but still, if there's an abusive thing going on, it just usually makes it worse. I'm going to go back to the first episode where it was like, and I'm going to fly a plane and <laughs> so lighthearted. There, there's fun episodes <laughs> in this thing. It's, I mean, it was a cute episode, but you know, it really is important that Sam fix things. And if Sam didn't have something to fix, there would be nothing for him to do. Yeah. I'm glad that he was able to fix Cheryl's situation. I'm sure it made him feel better about his own sister. He did a great job in this episode. Mission accomplished, I'd say, big time. Yeah, it's definitely like complete opposites, being an abusive relationship at home or being in the Peace Corps. Right. There's only one thing that bothers me about the Peace Corps. What? The silent P. Um, and cor- <laughs> Corps, I don't Why would they do that? I'm sure there's a reason. Okay. 
I honestly don't know the answer to that. I just know that that's how it's spelled. <laughs> so besides the whole domestic violence issue in this episode, there were other things going on in this episode that were kind of fun. I mean, you have the drag racing and the teenagers and um, the old drive-ins and the fashion and... I totally want a milkshake after and, watching this episode. And a burger. Yeah, but like a good burger. Thick, juicy, greasy burger. Yeah. So they were making fun of Cam's car, the Mommobile, right? Apparently it wasn't cool, but like looking at it now, that car looks cool. I would totally drive that. Well, it's retro now. All Any of those cars would be cool now because retro is in... First thing I noticed about this episode while I was watching it was, that's Jason Priestley. Yeah, he's so young. He was. He was like a little kid. I don't know how old he was in this episode, but I would say it was definitely pre-90210. Oh, yeah. So we're talking... He can't be too young because he's staying around smoking cigarettes, but... We're talking a long time ago. Well, probably about 20 years ago because that's when it was (laughs) taped. I I think that's going to be a running theme. (laughs) It's probably all going to be about 20 years ago, probably. Yeah. It's pretty cool how Sam can uh, pretty much assess his situation as soon as he leaps in and figure out who he is and where he is and who everybody else is. And like his sister's name was on was painted on the side of Bobby's car. How would he know? Like, what if that's his car's name? I thought about that, too. But it was on the door next door and she responded to it. So, yeah, it's worth a try. If they respond to it, that's usually a clue that that's Uh, their name. He could have called her Pard. Pard. (laughs) Or Buddy. So Cheryl's really passionate about joining the Peace Corps. And Did you hear the way she talked about it? it she was like, just like, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and it's going to be so exciting. And she just was so, like, that's exactly what she wanted to do. And the whole time Bobby's in the car going, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. What a jerk. But he didn't even care about the safety of her when in the drag race. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, he didn't care about her. He just didn't want to be alone, I think. Well, again, he didn't understand physics and seatbelts. Another episode without seatbelts. When the show aired, did people have to wear seatbelts? I remember as a kid, like wandering around the car while my parents were driving. Well, you're about, what, 15 when this aired? When you were 15. There were seatbelts by then. In the 60s, I don't think it was even an issue. People didn't even comprehend seatbelts. They're drag racing with all these concrete pylons holding up a bridge or something. It's always under a bridge. That's dangerous, though. Like, what if you accidentally or on purposely ran into one of them? Pretty sure drag racing isn't a safe thing. I mean, like, I, they're not like, yeah, let's go to the safe location to drag race. Drag racing is like a risky. We're going to both max out at 40 miles an hour and we're going to come to a full and complete stop. We're going to make sure we're buckled up in our seatbelts. Five point harness and a helmet. Um, it was kind of a cute little scene in the beginning where they were uh, making fun of Jill and playing monkey in the middle with her purse, but it wasn't, that wasn't the cute part, but it was uh, after he saves Jill's purse and they uh, took his clothes off and threw him in a dumpster. They were kind of showing how he was a dorky teenager and these other guys were bullies. What I don't understand is why would you strip him of his clothes? Like what is with guys where they like taking off other guys clothes, pantsing or... Like, I don't get that. I don't understand it either. I've never took another guy's clothes off willingly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we're not going to talk about that. I was was in the Boy Scouts when I was a young kid. I'm not proud of it. wrong. It's just so (laughs) not okay. Um, No, I mean, like you hear about wedgies and and pantsing and all that stuff. I just don't even get it. I guess I'm just a girl and we don't do those things as girls. I didn't have brothers the same age as me growing up, so I didn't have peers that would abuse me, luckily. Yeah, I had brothers, but I'm a girl. There was no violence in my home growing up. My brothers beat each other up all the time, but that's just... It's weird. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's just a boy thing, I guess. But I, guess. I still don't get why they stripped him nude and threw him in a dumpster. Well, and they, they said, you're not wearing underwear. And in that same shot, you can see him wearing underwear. Now, in the same shot on Laserdisc, we even saw the underwear. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't mention that. We originally watched this episode in high definition, of course. Just Remastered and fancy and everything looking. and Very cool looking. And then we just watched it on Laserdisc because we can. Because we have nothing better to do and we really wanted to see it in really crappy quality. Yeah, the transfer for the Laserdisc is horrible. I mean, Laserdisc is capable of better, but this looked pretty bad. It looked like, it's like VHS. VHS. It was pretty bad. Even the sound was bad. Like the sound was not as good and the quality it was just kind of like a haze over everything and there was like rings around everything that had light it was dirty looking it was not good but we did it and we can say we did it we don't have to do it again thank you i bought all three quantum leap laser discs i think the first episode is on laser disc that i got uh the pilot and then kamikaze kid and the color of truth and then there's two more episodes on another disc what price gloria and i can't remember the other one but that's all they made, and I have them, and I think I'm going to frame them and put them up on the wall. I just don't get the whole Laserdisc thing. To me, like I'm so happy that we've graduated into high definition, and I don't feel like we need to go back. And 4K and all that stuff. Right. My daughter is going to grow up and think that DVDs are like VHSs to me. She's going to think Blu-rays are... That's true. Gonna, how can you watch this? It's only 1080p. Right. You didn't have 80K. But now looking back at the quality, it's so bad. These episodes of Quantum Leap are available on VHS. Just be glad I didn't buy those and make you watch those. The UK DVDs look pretty good, but high definition is the way to go, I think, for Quantum Leap. Um, The one thing I did notice about this version of uh, Quantum Leap versus the high def version, the Laserdisc didn't show the nipple in the opening uh, montage of the episode, whereas the high definition version quickly showed a nipple. And it was like this, it was cut off, like it wasn't in the frame. It's not that it was blurry, it just wasn't in the frame. Right, because of the whole safety area for standard definition television versus uh, high definition television. But if you can uh, get the high definition version, if it comes across your satellite or cable provider, or one day it comes out on Blu-ray, just uh, pause it about three minutes in and you'll see a nipple. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you are short on your quota of nipples this week. <laughs> you can pause it and see one. It was uh, the f- clip from the right hand of God. All the women listening are like, really? No. <laughs> Maybe not all the women, but. So Jill has a little crush on Cam. And apparently Cam has a crush on her too because he was going to ha- ask her out. But they were a little too shy to ask each other. So that Sam kind of helped that relationship along. And Cheryl. She yeah. told him. While Sam was in the dumpster, Al's talking to him, and he's wearing that chrome leather jacket from the pilot episode, and he's wearing these weird red sunglasses. The one thing I think doesn't stand the test of time in this episode that sticks out is when Sam was in the dumpster, Al said, I would have gave you a 10, but I have a Russian grandma on my mother's side or something like that. I think that was a reference to something that was happening with Olympic judges from Russia at the time, but my memory is very vague and blurry on that, and it's just out of place, and it doesn't stand the test of time yeah because i didn't get that reference i uh, figured it was something to do with the olympics but that's all i knew i very just barely got it a little bit but that's something when you put topical humor in a show it doesn't last well it's like if somebody were to reference miley cyrus or you know something like that now in like, a show like we just did right but i mean if we listen to this 10 years from now we'll be like what did miley cyrus do back then wrecking ball youtube it <laughs> is it reference for 10 years from now <laughs> yeah just in case 
you haven't seen the video or it's 10 years from now and you don't remember what we're talking about. Uh, let's state this episode more. What did the fox say? Yeah. <laughs> Topical things may be not so good, but that's the first thing like that that I noticed. If he has, what does the fox say in one of the episodes coming up, um, my mind will be blown. Because that would be from the future and the past. Wow. So I know that Sam has been in all different ages. And when he was the boxer, he was young. But this is the youngest I think he's been so far. And he actually lives with his parents, which is a new thing for the show. Yeah, he lived with his mom and dad. His dad was a little abusive, punched him in the arm all the time. I think everybody punched him in the arm through the entire episode. It's like a running gag. Yeah, just to be like, abuse is good, punch in the arm. <laughs> and when he said uh, to his sister, can you punch me somewhere else? Of course he meant next time. Yeah, and she totally <laughs> did just punch him again. I did laugh out loud at that point. The house where he lived, it looked like a set from like a 1950s TV show. Yeah, they did good. I totally believe that's where it was from. There was things in there like that oil lamp where uh, like oil gets pumped and it drips down strings. I remember that from being a young kid and I'd go to people's houses and they would have those. Must have been gone by the time I was alive. Yeah, I don't know the practicality of that. I mean, the dust collecting in oil, it's probably disgusting. And and they had string art, you know, where there's like, like pins or nails in a board and string wrapped around it on the walls. And that's another thing like dust. You know, so I guess people don't have that anymore. But it was set good. It it made you feel like you were at that time. I like the mom's hair dye thing. I'm not exactly sure what she was doing. Highlighting her hair because she didn't have it all through the cap. I don't know what that was. It looked like she was going for highlights, but later on in the episode, her hair was all one color. Right. And it was red. Like she had red all over her hands. Yeah. At first, I thought it was blood. The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, she's cutting somebody Dude, or she cut killed herself. someone. Something. I was like, oh, this is going to get hardcore. But it was just hair dye. Yeah, it's just weird, though. Like, I don't know. She dyed part of her hair red, but it wasn't any different. There was no continuity in that. Um, maybe she just uh, didn't do a good job and she dyed the whole thing red. I think it was just to give her something to do and make her weird looking for that scene. And it worked. Yeah. And why did the maid have such a hard time finding a Playboy magazine? Like, why was she freaking out? I think back in the early 60s, that was the worst there was, was a Playboy magazine. There was no internet back then. Yeah, I guess. But they've lost four maids (laughs) because of his Playboy obsession. Like, He's a teenage kid. I mean, that's what you read. The articles are amazing. I guess he is having trouble hiding it. Right. He needs to come up with a better hiding spot. Right. I think that's what his mom was basically saying. Like, (laughs) Mine was under my waterbed mattress when I was a kid. Because you had to pull the I, whole I was thing say, up. How did you even lift that up? You have to. You had to pull the whole thing back like ridiculous to find anything. Where was your hiding spot? I'm a girl. You didn't, didn't have, have Playgirl. Play no. Scott Bakula was in an issue of Playgirl. Probably before I was alive. Maybe right after. Which means it existed. Right. eBay. Not that desperate <laughs> to find a Playgirl magazine on eBay. With Scott Bakula, I'll order it for you. Girls are wired differently than boys. We don't need to buy magazines on eBay. I guess. So Cam's mom. She was very upset that Cheryl was forced into wearing Bobby's mother's wedding dress. Well, yeah. Another ugly wedding dress. Yep. The last time we saw an ugly wedding dress was in Double Identity. I'm sure it's not the last ugly wedding dress either. So which one's worse? So we'll keep a running tally of the worst wedding dress in Quantum Leap history. I don't know. They were both really bad. This one didn't have puffy shoulders, but it was like yellowed. I don't know from tobacco or age or just that's the color they wanted it. Ew, I don't know. Horrible. Um, why would you want your bride to be to wear your mother's old wedding dress? I don't know. 
I don't think I'd want my daughter to wear my wedding dress. I mean, if she wanted to, that's cool, but... Well, that's the normal thing. Normal people want their daughter to wear their wedding dress for some reason, because they save it for what reason, I don't know. But as a groom, why would you want your mate to dress like your mother? That's some problem right there. It's probably his mom who wanted that, not him. So then his mom wanted that, and then he forced Cheryl into it. Probably, yeah. Because she probably doesn't have a daughter, so she probably wanted like someone to wear her wedding dress. It's a big thing in movies and TVs where people want somebody to wear their wedding dress. But then why do people buy wedding dresses? Because their mother's wedding dress was ugly. And they didn't wear it. So they bought their own wedding dress and now they want somebody else to wear theirs. It's weird. It's like a vicious cycle that has no end, just lots of beginnings. (laughs) That sounded very poetic. Thank you. Scott Bakula in this episode did a really good job acting like a teenage kid, I think. Yeah, he was kind of soft-spoken and... A little shy and... His shoulders weren't as broad and he was kind of like a teenage kid. I'm thinking my theory right now is since his brain is all Swiss cheese, wherever the holes are, that's where the other person's personality is. Doesn't explain why he didn't know how to fix a car though, because Cam would have known. Swiss cheese. Maybe that's why he did know. He knew that there was something wrong with the camshaft. He just didn't know where it was. It's funny that it's called the camshaft. (laughs) I didn't think about that. But uh, yeah, I think Sam did really good acting like a kid. I really believed he was like a teenage kid, even though he's Scott Bakula. He does really good, different character every week, but still himself, but a different person. It's weird. As I'm going back through Quantum Leap and Enterprise at the same time, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. Even with our Vampire Diaries podcast, the same actors do different roles. And it still amazes me that actors can do that. They're good at stuff. Well, like I don't know if I could be able to act as well as they do in one character, let alone two or different every week. Because he has one running role, like a background role, and then he kind of takes on a new character every week. I think you would say he has acting chops. Yes. I think that's it. President Kennedy came up in this episode. Cheryl worked for the campaign for President John F. Kennedy. This was two years before he died, right? Uh, He died 11-22-63. And this is 1961. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's cool that she had a signed poster or a signed picture of him. Kennedy is one thing that's going to come up again and again in Quantum Leap from my memory. And I think it's just because at that point in time, it was still such a huge event that happened. It's still such a huge event. It it was like 50 years ago exactly this year, and this month. And everybody still remembers where they were, even if they weren't born yet. Well, and it, it's big because it was one of the first huge events that was televised. Right. Like the news people were there and and everyone knew about it right as it was happening. They didn't read about it the next day in the newspaper. It was all over the TV. Right. Walter Cronkite taking his glasses off and almost crying, talking about the president's been shot. Yeah. So it's iconic for so many reasons. You know, it's such a big event in our history. So very sad. sad, Yeah. Looking forward to it coming up again in Quantum Leap and it will. Spoilers. Another thing I noticed in this episode is... um, Cheryl telling her little story about the time she scratched Cam with her nails and Cam had evidence of abuse finally from his sister and their mom made Cheryl cut her nails off. I don't really think that's abuse. Okay. I had two little brothers growing up. I had one brother who was an instigator and one brother who was a puncher. (laughs) Like the one little brother would come up to you and poke you. And if you poked him back, mom, she poked me. Be like, man, you poke me first. And my other little brother, 
who was brute force, he would just punch him in the face. I mean, they were just, that's just how, what you do with your siblings. I mean, it's not at the end of the day, you would do anything for your siblings. There, there's some kind of bond that you have when you grow up with your brothers or sisters that even though you could tear each other apart, you still love them more than anything. And you fight and wrestle and punch each other and scratch each other and they're still your brother or sister i didn't have that growing up all i had was watching tv and i'm glad i didn't get beat up or scratched or poked or punched when i was a kid it sounds a lot worse than it really is i mean but because i was the girl i didn't i wasn't really included in the wrestling aspect of it i know like my best friend growing up she just had a little brother and they used to wrestle and chase each other and kill each other and just kind of what you do Okay, so. <laughs> so I don't really know if that's an aspect of abuse because most children so beat each other up. Because it's more prevalent, it means it's not bad. Well, it's not that it's not bad, but it's usually not serious. It's usually like. Or is that just the abuse of older sister talking? I d- no, I wasn't usually involved in all of that. Like I oh. didn't. It was the boys fighting amongst themselves. Usually, I mean, you could totally ask my mom. It was they fought, and I just like went in the other room i was usually the good one yeah i just think that that's normal i don't think it's good but I, like i don't know i don't i don't even know how to explain it if unless you have brothers and sisters and you'd know i'm sure a lot of people know what you're talking about and some people like me have no idea what you're talking about if you were to listen to my brothers talk to each other you'd be like you guys are so mean but at the end of the day, if one of them is stranded on the side of the road, the other one would be right there to pick him up. Right. I don't know if that... I, maybe it is abuse. I don't know. It sounds pretty bad when I'm describing it out loud. <laughs> to me, it sounds like abuse, and it seems like abuse. I don't think there should be any violence in the home at all, but I mean, I guess you can't stop two little kids from fighting. Yeah, it's usually like over something stupid, and it only lasts for five seconds, and then they're back to playing, and everything's fine and dandy. You know what I noticed in this episode? I've been kind of picking on Al, where he's an expert in everything, and he's experienced everything, and anything that comes up in Quantum Leap, he has a story, or he did something, or he can help Sam. Other than the whole nitrous oxide part, I don't think he had any special knowledge that really was integral to getting the job done. Yeah, no, he didn't really... I mean, he felt bad for Sam when he told the story of Katie, but he didn't have any experience or story of his own this time and in fact uh when sam remembered about the car again the camshaft and everything like that i was like oh it wasn't al standing there going i know about cars and it's probably the camshaft tell her it's the camshaft and i was kind of happy for that that sam i mean other than that and the knowledge about the alcohol stalling uh labor yeah they broke out of the mold yeah so i like that that was a little thing that i liked in that episode we like when things aren't the same every episode (laughs) So then we get to the lingerie scene, which uh, sounds sexy, but, you know, it's just lingerie, no people in it. So it's just laying all over the floor. And uh, Al has that little line about that would look good, not on Tina. Did he say Tina? Yeah, he said Tina. He met a different woman in the end of the episode. He's such a dog. He is, but that's his character. What I don't understand is I've never, I, like bridal showers, you don't try on lingerie. Like you stand <laughs> up and try on lingerie in front of people? No, I like never- that doesn't happen. Who is this written by? Written by Paul Brown. 
So it was written by a guy. It was written so by a man. A guy thinks that <laughs> women stand around and try and lingerie in front of e- on in front of each other. Right. And when you have sleepovers, you have pillow fights and, you know, and you're wearing lingerie and you talk about boys, I guess. I don't know. Well, the boys part, yeah, but the rest of it, not really. But so it was written by a man, so men don't really know what women do. That whole thing was really weird to me. I mean, I, I got lingerie at my bri- like at my bridal shower, but it wasn't distasteful, and it also never got tried on in front of any of the people at my bridal shower. It just seemed weird, and Al was there, which brings up a topic like he's basically a peeping tom in this episode. Yeah, but it's not his sister, and it's not even really Sam's sister. It's but he's using his powers of time travel to spy on women, right? And he said that he would. He's he's not ashamed of it. Not at all. Lingerie really doesn't do it for me. Never has. I never got it. So. I don't think lingerie would turn me on either. No, I don't. I don't get it. But you know, whatever. I mean, it might be funny to see you in some lingerie. But um, I no. Don't get me wrong. I look good in a teddy. Do you? Yes. <laughs> do you have pictures? I have pictures to prove it. <laughs> um. Then we get into the serious part of the episode. Once he finds a bruise, yeah. Yeah, she's trying to get the wedding dress off, and she doesn't know, I guess, she's bruised in the back and asks Cam for help, and big old bruises on the back of her neck. Yeah, that sucks really bad. I think that really, uh, it's horrible, and it makes Sam very upset. Yeah, those are pretty bad bruises. Like, you have to really hurt someone to make a bruise that deep, especially right there. Like, I know that I hit, like, my shin or, you know, hit my arm, and I have bruises. I'm like, I don't even know where those are from. But on the back of your neck, like, that's not a place you bruise easily. It upsets Sam. And then uh, Bobby comes driving up with flowers. Like I said, grand gestures to make up for the abuse. So what do you think about Sam grabbing Bobby by the neck? He was angry. It was a fit of rage. Uh, Yeah, he uh, he was just letting Bobby know that he knew and to watch himself. Well, and he was angry, so he was kind of showing his anger, but... And this is where Sam wasn't a little kid. He was grown-up Sam trying to protect his little sister. It's one thing. like He was basically saying, like, it's one thing for me to do it to you, but it's another thing for you to do it to my sister. Like, So Sam definitely has to do something about it. Oh, yeah. But he knows at that moment that he has to stop anything from happening. I think a theme in this episode is him associating Cam's sister with his own sister again and again, and, uh, like, this time making it right. Right. Like in the lawn when he grabs Bobby's neck, he's probably envisioning his brother-in-law and beating the crap out of him for what he did to his sister. Then we get to the part of the episode where they're doing the wedding rehearsal. Did that fool you? Did you think it was the wedding at all? I, oh, yeah. When he said, and now I pronounce you. Yeah. I was like, this is weird. She's not wearing a wedding dress. Maybe it's because I saw it 20 years ago, but I wasn't fooled. Well, probably because you saw it 20 years ago. <laughs> Can it be in that my brain for that long? I know the Michael Jackson part was. I know the diving. Do you, do you know the lyrics from songs from 20 years ago? Yes. Okay. Yay. I have mega memory power. So that was awkward. The Bobby's dad kissing Cheryl on the lips. Yeah. I don't know. Um, just because he's drunk, maybe, and a jerk. I don't know. He wasn't drunk. He's just celebrating early. All the time. All the time, always. Yeah, like when he says the joke about the wine waiter, and the women all look around like... They were not having a good time. And then Sam looks at Cheryl and she's like, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny part about the wedding rehearsal, though, was Sam has to sit at the kitty table. Which makes no sense to me. Isn't he in, like, high school? Yeah, but he's still kind of skinny and young looking. So, I mean, where is that divide, you know, when you get to go from the kitty table to the adult table? That's true. I'm thinking since everybody was drinking and smoking, it's probably about 18. Yeah, see, what's weird is I totally thought 
that Cheryl and Bobby were graduating high school, but they're graduating college. But I totally wasn't getting the whole, like, I totally thought they were in high school. And Me too, until you just said that. When I read the recap, it says college graduation. Oh, okay. Because you do graduate high school about 17, 18. That's true, which is about the age Cam was. So that would make sense, college. Yeah, so he, he's in high school, I'm assuming, and she was graduating college. Now, as a wedding present, buying your wife a color TV, is that like buying her a vacuum cleaner or yes. an ironing board or a bowling ball that she's not going to use that you end up using or something? Yes. Yeah, that's a horrible gift. I mean, if you buy your husband... Am right, I, if she bought him a TV, yeah, it would be different. Am I being sexist or... No... I mean, knowing that she is so passionate about going to the Peace Corps. What good is a TV going to do in Tonga? Right. And can you bring it on the plane with you? I'm going to say no, especially not that size. Right. They were like 500 pounds back then. Right. I mean, I when she looked at it, she was like, oh, it's a color TV. It's great. So another example of him being just a... Uh, inconsiderate. That, that's a great word. He was very inconsiderate. Extremely inconsiderate. So I was right. That's not a good gift. But I mean, look at his dad as an example for who he is supposed to grow up to be. Like parents are examples for how we're supposed to grow up. We totally watch what they do and how they interact with other people. And that's what we use as our examples when we're growing up. So how that explains a lot. No, Um, (laughs) no. uh, But look at his dad. His dad showed up late to their wedding rehearsal. He walked right up to like the altar interrupted the ceremony kissed the bride on the lips like he i mean he's very inconsiderate as a person so obviously bobby didn't really have a good role model to look up to you know what i think a lot broke the cycle the early 80s mid 80s tv talk shows like donahue have you ever heard of donahue no well pretty much they um like before Stuff like that, TV shows had to disguise morals and meanings in things that where you would have to think about it yourself. But this was like a daytime talk show where they would talk about things like domestic violence and abuse. Is it like Maury? Yes, but original. Oh, I love Maury. Right. Where they you were, are not the father. Well, it wasn't as salacious, <laughs> but it talked about important issues and, you know, I credit that as well as Quantum Leap and Star Trek with with knowing wrong from right. And uh, pretty much when the whole audience was aghast at something that someone did, then you would know that that's not something you want to do. Yeah, there were a lot of talk shows when I was growing up. I mean, you had Oprah and Ricky Lake and Maury and Jerry Springer. Donahue was the first man to jump out into the audience with a microphone. Yeah, I've, I've never seen that show. I, I don't need, I have no idea what that is. Wow. I'm going to have to look it up. But, uh, you know, that's a... Information. Information really does inform people. So after the color TV, Sam stands up to make a speech to tell everyone how awesome Cheryl is and how much he loves her and thanks Bob for the TV because he's going to be watching it since they're going to the Peace Corps, which was totally a stab at Bob because he knows they're not going. <laughs> um, and Bob gets all uncomfortable, and but he's very soft-spoken in his speech, very into his character. Well-spoken too, I think. He's very soft-spoken. Like, he's quiet. and It was another way to, I think, make the Peace Corps as important of a thing to everybody as it was to Cheryl. So Bobby would feel like a jerk. Yeah, but it didn't work. Nope. Because so, he's a jerk. Right. And so Sam gets caught talking to Al, which he needs to stop doing that. Um, yeah, he didn't care in this episode. He was just sitting there talking to him. I know. 
And then he gets custard or pudding or something shot in his eye by Jason Priestley. Did Jason Priestley have a name, the character? I don't, I don't, I didn't remember hearing one. I've seen this one. No, it was just the Impalas. Like they were just a group of jerks. So we'll just call him Jason Priestley. Right. So Jason Priestley shoots some pudding into his eye and he decides it's time to go to the bathroom to talk to Al. Yeah. And then the little kid's like, but I don't have to go. (laughs) It's funny. So they're in the bathroom and Michael Jackson is in the bathroom. Just kind of odd. Which is the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, random kid. And then, like, I didn't think it was Michael Jackson until his brother was like, come on, Mikey. Really? With all the Michael Jackson moves and stuff? Well, I was just like, that's really weird. But I didn't think, like, I didn't think Michael Jackson would have been in the bathroom. I don't know. Everybody's got to pee. I didn't think he would be in this area. I guess Buddy Holly was already in an episode. Now Michael Jackson. I just thought it was a little weird. Everybody poops. Thank you. I think there's a book. <laughs> there is. Um, but according to Quantum Leap history, Sam helps Michael Jackson learn his moves. What bothered me about the scene as an adult was it just seemed thrown in there. Yeah, it didn't connect with anything. It was totally disconnected. Yes, right. you're right. And um, watching the preview for the episode, it says, end a moonwalk from a future superstar. So really? it was like almost they threw it in there to kind of boost ratings, maybe. That's really weird, though. But it just seemed cut in and not even edited in right. Yeah. Like, and then there's a dance scene in the bathroom. With, <laughs> like, with, with no music. <laughs> uh, we're here in Rock and Robin, but I don't think somebody's playing Rock and Robin in the bathroom. But like you see a little kid in the bathroom and you're like, let's dance, kid. It's just weird. I have to mention the moonwalk. Both of the moonwalk, they're insert shots and they're not yeah. them. And even with little Michael Jackson, the their big adult feet. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, but, you know, again, small screen, big screen, and where can you find a little kid that can moonwalk? I'm sure now you can. You just have to search YouTube. Or, you know, just look up special talents on IMDb resumes, but back then they didn't have that. They didn't have IMDb back then? No. YouTube? No. Really? Really. So, um, and uh, speaking of Michael Jackson in the bathroom... Uh, Speaking of Michael Jackson, (laughs) (laughs) that never sounds good. (laughs) Um, This is from the uh, Quantum Leap Wikia. We found this information. It turns out Quantum Leap didn't have their facts right. Michael Jackson didn't start performing with his family until 1964. And this episode takes place in 1961, which would make Michael Jackson 2, considering he was born in August 1958. And this is June 1961. So he'd be almost 3. And the kid in this episode looked a little bit older. I'd say six, seven. Definitely not three. No. And definitely not in the insert shot of the adult feet moonwalking. <laughs> he just had really big feet as a kid. <laughs> BTW, my special talents, I can totally moonwalk. You, uh, you know, that doesn't shock me. I spent many of nights in front of my TV watching Michael Jackson dance and trying to replicate it horribly. But one thing I can do is moonwalk and i can do that thing where you where you do your scissor kick with your legs in front of you my cousin when i was little was obsessed with michael jackson and i think there's a video of him as a three-year-old like rocking out and dancing to michael jackson i wore the red jacket with 27 zippers in it for probably five years straight until it mysteriously disappeared I bet your mom can tell me where that is. <laughs> I, I had the glittery socks. I had the black loafers. Uh, Do you have the glove? the glove? Did I have the glove? <laughs> How many gloves did I have? Wow. But I only wore one at a time. Well, yeah, my cousin had like the Barbie version. I don't know. It wasn't a Barbie, but you know what I mean? Like the Barbie type Michael I had Jackson all three. doll. I had the one with the thriller jacket. I had the one where you're just kind of like 
glittery military style almost. And uh, another one where he was like in a casual glittery silver sweater. I remember the day that I heard Michael Jackson died and you and my cousin were the two people that I texted about that. Don't remind me about that day. It was horrible. Yeah. But it's nice to see him alive in a bathroom in 1962. Played by another person. Oh. But so we again we get to like he didn't even look like cute Michael Jackson not at all because Michael Jackson was such a he that didn't look like any other kid he didn't look like uh, the casting wasn't so good he didn't look like young Michael it was standard definition televisions back then I guess. that's true so we have a choice to make do we believe real history or do we believe quantum leap history in this case I have to go with real history all right me too but it was when I was a kid and I saw little Michael Jackson on TV, I was like, yay, Michael Jackson. I didn't know he wasn't, you know. I'm going to have to say you were about 15 yep. going, yeah, it's Michael Jackson. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, exactly. I had the Michael Jackson <laughs> microphone. It was really You cool. should stop now. Okay, I'll stop Just, now. <laughs> um, Everything I could buy, Michael Jackson, I did buy. My theory for why Michael Jackson history is off there, because why would they mess up that bad? You know, like, why would they just go out of their way to insert that in there and be totally inaccurate? My theory is, is it was supposed to be in 1964, but they wanted to put JFK in there. And 1964, JFK was no longer. So... So they made a change the date at the later time. Right. To include the JFK conversation. That might make sense. So they probably didn't think about it. You know what I mean? Like, they wanted to add the JFK thing in later and didn't think about the time shift of Michael Jackson. Why do you think they included Michael Jackson in this episode of Quantum Leap? There are many ways to get a hold of us at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can go to quantumleappodcast.com and check out all the ways to get a hold of us. And that's our talkback question of the week. (laughs) Why do you think Michael Jackson was in this episode of Quantum Leap? Please press the talkback button in the middle of the app. Well, we don't have that, but we got a speak pipe. Which is pretty similar. If you go to quantumleappodcast.com and you have a microphone connected to your computer, you can let us know. So then we get to the part where... Then we get to the part where Al has a fruit roll-up tie on. Yeah, those uh, thin ties were very popular back but in it was the shiny. early 60s. It was shiny like fruit roll-up. It was like satin or something. It looked like fruit roll-up. And okay. I'm not really sure. What like, flavor? What flavor? Can you imagine like having fruit roll-up tie? You'd just be like, um, I would just Can I imagine? Right I'm going to have a fruit roll-up tie now that you said that. <laughs> I'm sure as a child, I probably had a fruit roll-up tie at one point or another. Uh, it was long enough. You could tie yeah. it around and just kind of eat Bubble it. tape tie. I know I did that. Fruit roll-up would stain you, though. Like, it would to- you would totally have, like, a red <laughs> marker on your neck. But if you get trapped somewhere without food, you're good. <laughs> We get to the part in the episode where Jill's helping Sam install a nitrous oxide tank in his car in the mom mobile. They weren't installing seatbelts. They were installing nitrous oxide. Right. To make you go faster. Which I, I think is pretty cool that they brought that out to win the race. Because Al, Al suggested that he bet pink slips and Sam was like, wait, 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 what? To me at the time, first few times watching this episode, I was like, why are they going to race for pinks except to advance the plot in this episode? I really like it bothered me. But then this last time I watched it, I think it makes sense because you had to show his anger or you had to see his anger, had to bring it out. So he lost his temper in front of everybody, Mm -hmm. right? To show the true Bobby. Right. And it worked. It worked perfectly. Yeah. He almost killed Kim. The one thing is um, little technical glitch. They were installing nitrous oxide, not helium. So there's no reason their voice should have been that high. If anything, they would have been like dizzy and hear a wah 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 sound in their head. 
What was that sound? Like if you go to the dentist. Sound like hypnotoad. It is hypnotoad, yeah. That's the sound you hear when you go to the dentist. I thought that was just a drill. No, that's more of an (laughs) ee. So you do ee and I'll do wah, wah, wah. (laughs) That's a dentist. Um, So I have no idea why they thought, hey, it'd be funny if it changes your voice like it's helium. But somebody going, it's not helium, it's nitrous oxide. Every time I'd gotten laughing gas at the dentist, I didn't talk. So I don't know what that would be like. It doesn't change the pitch of your voice. I know there's another gas you can breathe that makes your voice really low, but uh, nitrous oxide doesn't affect it. I just know that helium's really funny. <laughs> I wonder if they were using helium, if it would make the car go faster. I don't think so, because I don't think helium mm-hmm. is flammable. That's why dirigibles use helium now. Look at you ba- using big words. <laughs> and, not, and not hydrogen, because hydrogen is flammable, so... I just know that helium is lighter than air. That's all I know about helium. Very good. Just because I had to blow up balloons. You get a gold star. For some reason, at all the jobs I've ever had, I've had to blow up balloons. <laughs> I don't want to ask you what those jobs are. Oddly enough, they were two grocery stores and a restaurant. But still, at all three jobs, I ha- was like in charge of blowing up balloons. You so. just look like the type of person that blows up balloons. Is that like a clown joke? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to take that. But... If it was helium, it would make their voice do that, but it wouldn't make the car go faster. And if it was nitrous oxide, it wouldn't make your voice do that. It would just... Well, they were laughing, which makes sense. And at the after you brought that up, because I didn't even notice it, I was just like, that's weird. Oh, it bothered but, me, man. But the second time I watched it after you had said that, I was like, maybe their voices got higher because they're laughing. Because when you're laughing, maybe it alters your voice a little bit. But no, it definitely, they definitely sound like they inhaled helium. Because Scott Bakula sounds like a little boy. At the end of the episode, Jason Priestley says, I didn't think he had the ganachos to show up. First of all, what the heck are ganachos? I have no idea, but that was an ADR line. And I don't know what he was originally supposed to be saying. I'm thinking cojones. Cojones. Maybe they thought it was a little too racy for TV or something. Yeah, because his lips don't match. Not at all. But uh, it was really cool to see Jason Priestley in this episode. Um, I wonder how many other guest stars we're going to know when they come up. That happens all the time. You'll like go back and watch something and be like, oh, yeah, it's that so-and-so from the show we're watching currently. I had no idea that they were on here. I totally forgot that they were on here. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. Sure. I love when I have two different characters in my head and I have no idea they're played by the same actor. And because then, the characters are totally different. And then someone or something tells me it's the same person and my brain instantly makes a connection and goes, no way. I love that. It happens all the time. That just happened the other day. Oh, with the Vampire Dies and True Blood chick. So Cam wins the drag race. And Bobby's so mad, he's like, okay, it's your car now, I'm going to wreck it. So he drives it right in the pillar, tries to kill Cam. Logic steps in there, for sure. Run him over. That was a pretty scary stunt where Sam, or Sam's uh, Scott Bakula stunt guy, I doubt it was Scott Bakula, jumps out of the way of the oncoming car. But it shows the true nature and character of Bobby, and Cheryl has enough, throws down the ring, the wedding's off, mission accomplished. And I got to say, when Bobby's losing his temper... And Sam leaps over the hood and does that whole TJ hooker slide across the top of the hood and punches Bobby in the face. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty cool. And then my man crush for Scott Bakula grew by one point. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was awesome. That was probably my favorite part of the episode. I like that the Impalas weren't loyal to Bob after he was a jerk. Well, I think the whole point of the Jason Priestley character was to kind of be the voice of reason at the end to where, okay, you've gone too far and we're not with you. Yeah, you tried to kill him, 
And that's not cool. Right. Uh, picking on somebody or bothering somebody is Throwing one thing. Throwing him into a dumpster naked is one thing. But trying to kill him is completely different. Right. They're like, whoa, you've gone too far. So now at the end of this episode, Bobby has nothing. It's okay. He's going to be a used car salesman. Probably going bald like his dad. Probably. But Cheryl ends up, you know, helping a lot of people in Africa. Yeah. So she ends up going to the Peace Corps and um, and Sam sees her off and she gives him a going away present, even though she's the one who's leaving. And it was Jill standing outside, not looking like Jill. She looked like she was over made up, I thought. I think she looked a lot better without the makeup. Yeah, I like my girl's natural, you know, not too natural, I'm, you know, not, not weird or crazy, but, you know, just not overly made up. But I guess back then that was the ideal of beauty. Yeah, I don't know. Her hair was really weird and I, don't, I didn't like it. Just didn't seem like her. I like that she wiped off her lipstick first, though. <laughs> yeah, she was still quite awkward, even though she was all dolled up. And it was funny that Sam looked at Al like, am I okay to do this? She's kind of young. <laughs> And uh, I was like, kiss her, Sam. Yeah. And then he leaped. So his mission was to kiss her, which is odd. But yeah, that's one thing I was thinking of when watching this episode. Like, does he have multiple reasons for being there? And he has to accomplish maybe three things before he leaps. Probably. Because that could have been the main one. The Buddy Holly one, that could have been the main one, even though it was secondary. I know for a fact the bingo one couldn't have been a main one. No, maybe that's the thing. There's the main one and then a little cutesy one also. Yeah, so maybe he has to accomplish a couple or several things before he leaps. Keep an eye on that. Are you hinting to the future? (laughs) Overall, what do you think of the episode? I like this one. I liked the era that they went back to. And I like that he was a kid because he kind of acted like a kid. And it was was a fun Grease-like episode. At the end of the episode, he leaps into someone else. Yeah, someone holding a gun over a dead body. And it looks kind of like an old detective movie, noir movie situation. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for this one. It'll be interesting. It looks like Sam's going to have to talk himself out of some kind of trouble, though. I like the episode as well. I'm glad Sam was able to save his sister, Cam's sister, from a life of abuse. On that note, we actually have an interview with Rita Smith, who is the executive director of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That seems like a really cool interview that you got to do. So let's listen to that. We have a very special guest here on the Quantum Leap podcast, Rita Smith from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She is the executive director, and uh, we're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. The episode of Quantum Leap we are talking about has to do with domestic violence, and the main character, played by Scott Bakula, Sam, has to prevent his sister from marrying an abusive man. And uh, I wanted to find out more about domestic violence and what people can do to prevent it. Can you tell me a little bit about the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence? Sure. Uh, We were formed in 1978, so we've been around uh, 35 years. Um, And basically, we are the national organization that supports all the local crisis shelters throughout the country. So there's over 2,000 crisis programs in the entire country, and we support their work. We do national policy work. Um, uh, federal legislation. We support that kind of advocacy. We do technical assistance and training, and we have a website that has a great deal of information on it for victims and friends and family, um, co-workers, to understand the issue more. What can someone do if they are a victim of domestic violence? Well, I think the biggest thing is to start to gather information about what your options are, to develop a safety plan, 
that can help you get away when it's okay to do that. Um, if you're in immediate danger, certainly calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline and finding a way to get out quickly. Um, that number is 800-799-7233. But if you're not in immediate crisis, I think um, looking at our website uh, will give you some idea about what to do and resources that are available to you and, and a, a format to develop a safety plan so that as you are ready to leave, you have everything you need to do that safely. Uh, what would the safety plan consist of? Well, it's basically going through um, information about what you might want to take with you, like important papers, um, insurance forms, uh, birth certificates for your children if you have them, ideas about who you can um, uh, go to, um, information, uh, a place for information about where your local resources so you can call if there's a, a local domestic violence program nearby, so you have someplace safe to go if you don't have friends or family you can stay with. So it's just a whole list of things that people can look at to start to think about what you need to do if you're going to leave. When I talked to my friends and family about uh, this interview that we we're going to have this conversation, one of them asked me to talk about and ask you about what about people who think they're trapped in an abusive relationship, maybe because they have children with the abuser and, you know, they think that they can't do anything to get out. Well, it, it makes it more difficult, certainly, if there are children in common with uh, the abuser. But but there are a, a lot of strategies that, that can be looked at. You know, advocates who work with domestic violence victims all the time think about this a lot, and they, they can work through that with someone. So the first option is to call the national hotline or the local domestic violence hotline when it's safe to do that and start to understand what the resources are and what the options are, because there are some, and there are, there are ideas and strategies that you can put into place to make it less problematic to leave if you're in a violent relationship. So I think the first thing I would tell them is just get information. Get information when it's safe to do that and start to make some decisions for yourself that you think are in your best interest. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Uh, domestic violence as a whole, is the problem getting better or worse, do you think? Well, it's it's a little bit hard to say. I think it's getting better in some, uh, in, in some uh, very important ways. We have laws now that we didn't have 35 years ago that actually help us to hold people accountable who use violence against their families. And, you know, the public interest is much better than it used to be. I, I still think that it's, it's difficult uh, for people to get away, but I also think that there are more resources for them to do that. The economy is not helping right at the moment um, since 2009. I think what we're going to see with statistics is that since 2009 to now, that we're probably going to see an increase in domestic violence incidences as well as the domestic violence homicides because people were just, they didn't have options, they didn't have jobs, they, didn't, they couldn't get out of their mortgages. Um, there were just so many obstacles keeping people from leaving that relationship that I think we're going to see an increase due to the economy. But overall, I think we've made some good strides, but we're not anywhere near fixing this problem. So we have a lot to do. It's really good to have an organization that organizes this and helps people out across the country. And uh, thank you for doing that. Oh, you bet. You bet. I feel uh, blessed to be able to do this kind of work because it really is, you know, I can go home at night saying, you know, that what we do saves lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. On a personal level, I have a wife and child and I would never dream of bringing harm to them in any way. And what causes people to 
be abusive? Is is there like it's a psychological problem, or is there many reasons? Or well, I think I think it's a variety of reasons, but I think that the, some of the most important factors are that a significant number of people who are abusive grew up witnessing violence in their own homes, so it's it was something they learned was acceptable behavior. Not all, um, but certainly a lot of people uh, grow up seeing that as an option. And then I think that it's just a, a, it's not, it's really not a psychological problem. You know, it's not something, they're not crazy. They're not mentally unfit. They are people who really want to control their environment and they want to want to maintain, um, you know, everyone's behavior the way they want it to be. And so they use power and control, um, you know, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. It's not all physical by any means, um, but, you know, threats and coercion to try to keep people in line, so to speak, the way they want them to be. So it's really about power and control, and people who tend to want that in their homes um, will use whatever means to maintain it. Yeah, very sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a very loving home with great parents, and violence was never even a thought. So I, that's probably one that's of the reasons thing. I don't feel like that. Yeah. Even if people aren't in a situation, like what can people do to help other people? Well, I think, I think uh, you know, people who um, might have friends or family they're worried about, uh, there's a lot of information up on our website about ways that you can start to recognize those signs um, and then, um, you know, get information about where the resources are in your area and when it's safe to give that information to the person that you're concerned about um, to do that. You know, just having a conversation with them and saying, you know, I'm worried about you. Uh, you know, I'm not sure you're okay. You deserve to be treated well. Um, you know, giving those kinds of affirmative responses to them and letting them know you care about them and that they don't deserve to be treated the way they're being treated. You know, the, the best thing is to not to try to pile on to the abuser because it tends to put her in an awkward position, but just to keep reaffirming for her or him if he, if, if it's someone that, that's male that's being abused, to, to really just keep saying you deserve to be treated better, you you know, there are resources for you. You can find a new option. You can find a new way. Um, you don't have to live like this. You know, just just saying those kinds of things that will help them, you know, at, at one point maybe take the stand and walk away. Is there any place someone can donate to your organization or any way they can help out? I know I heard about a cell phone program that you guys have. Yeah, we have an an e-waste program. We work with a partner who recycles electronic waste. Um, some of some of the phones can be used for emergency use for victims, but we get a lot of we get a lot of donations now. So not all of them are used in that fashion. Uh, the ones that don't get used uh, for emergency purposes um, can be recycled or resold and raise money for us. So any kind of small electronic um, cell phone, um, iPad. Um, mp3 laptop uh, small electronics can be sent to our partner and we have on our website both a a donate button um, to give cash and also a way to um, donate your e-waste that doesn't cost anything for you you can download a a printed shipping label at no cost to you you can send them into our partner and that can help raise money for us so either way is a great option and that's totally tax deductible right yes awesome is there anything else uh, you'd like to talk about no, um, and only to say, you know, that our website is www.ncadv.org. And again, the national hotline number, if, if you know somebody who needs it, is 800-799-7233. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.
And thanks again to Rita Smith. That was a great interview, and I appreciate all that information she was able to share with us. And uh, hopefully that helps maybe one of our listeners one day. Uh, might be trapped in a situation of domestic violence and doesn't know what to do. And now that they have more information, maybe they can get help. Yeah, domestic violence is a really big problem that maybe we can help fix. I think it was uh, very forward thinking for 1989 for them to have an episode of television dealing with this issue. Oh, definitely. But it's been a problem for a really long time. As we go forward in the series of Quantum Leap, there's a lot more episodes that deal with additional topics that are very important like this one. So uh, it'll be a good learning experience. I have no idea what's in store, but um, I'm, I like the little lessons and, and steps back into different situations. So I'm excited to see what else Quantum Leap can bring to the table. Jason Priestley, uh, and I've told this many times, but uh, the first day he worked on the show, I went home and I uh, told uh, my wife at the time, said, "This I worked with a kid today who's got it. He's going to be the next Eric Roberts. He's going to be the next. That's who he reminded me of at the time. He just, you know, you just, I just, you know, you don't say that about a lot of people. I work with, I've worked with many, many wonderful people, but he just had something going on. He was connected. He was great-looking kid. He had style. He had all this stuff. So, you know, he and, and uh, I've known Jason since then, he, he, and he's proven to be a, an extremely talented guy. Find out why savvy moms everywhere are shopping Zulily.com, the leading daily deal site for moms, babies, and kids, offering up to 70% off boutique styles. Zulily is the best deal going. Cannot wait to get on and see what's new. Every day there's something new to discover. Adorable dresses, colorful tutus, and cute shoes for life on the go. If you don't buy it when you see it, you might miss out. Zulily.com, a big selection of styles for a small window of time. For more information, please go to quantumleappodcast.com and click our affiliate link to Zulily. That will help out the show. We have an email from Juan. He says, hello, I was very delighted to stumble upon your podcast while looking for details on a possible Quantum Leap movie. I really like the idea that you guys have come up with and was wondering when the next podcast might be. Also, are the podcasts available on iTunes? Lastly, are there any volunteer opportunities available? I know that there is a support page, but I was wondering if maybe there was a way to help that was a little more hands-on than just donating money. Anyway, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to read this email. Hopefully the podcast is a huge success, as this is a much beloved show, Juan. Well, thank you very much, Juan. The next episode of the podcast is out right now. We've been putting out about two episodes a month on average, but now with our move to a better studio... We hope to have episodes out more frequently. The Quantum Leap podcast is available on iTunes. Just search Quantum Leap podcast in iTunes and it'll come right up. And yes, we are looking for volunteers. I mentioned on an earlier show, we're looking for a transcriber to transcribe our shows for the hearing impaired. Also, if you check out our frequently asked questions page on quantumleappodcast.com, it has a section on uh, what kind of volunteers we're looking for. Um, right now, we're looking for audio editors which would be very helpful in getting the show out quicker. So if uh, you're an audio editor out there and know how to use Audacity and have an interest in becoming part of the Quantum Leap podcast, your help would be greatly appreciated. On our last podcast, we had three editors, so we did pretty good making a weekly show. The part of the show that takes the longest is editing, so that would be very helpful. 
We've had a lot of feedback on our Facebook page. You might want to check that out at facebook.com slash quantum leap podcast. People are talking about what episodes they like the best. Hayden said that The Color of Truth is the episode that got him hooked on Quantum Leap. It's an amazing episode, and it comes a very close second to MIA on his favorite episodes list. MIA is a great episode. The Color of Truth, that was a good episode. A lot of people are talking about The Leap Home Part 1 and 2. That's one of my favorite episodes. Also, leave us feedback on our Facebook page and uh, talk amongst yourselves. To leave feedback for the Quantum Leap Podcast, you can send an email or an audio file to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast, or you can check us out on Twitter at quantumleappod. And we have a speak pipe on quantumleappodcast.com. If you have a microphone hooked up to your computer, you can just hit record and leave us a message that way. Many ways to get a hold of us. On the next Quantum Leap podcast, we are going to be talking about the season one finale episode of Quantum Leap, Play It Again Seymour, where Sam leaps into Nick Allen, a private detective in the 50s. It was 1953. The Dodgers were still in Brooklyn, and I was a private detective named Nick Allen. The dead man on the floor was my partner, Phil Grimsley. And if that wasn't enough to cause chills, there was the image in the mirror. Word on the street is he was fogged by a dropper called Clapper. Philip was your husband. And your partner. Yeah. And a man can't. With his partner's wife. Until his partner is gone. Sam, you know, Allison could be the killer. No. Did you love Phil? What kind of a question is that? The kind that has to be asked. He's right over here, Sam! And in that episode, guest stars Willie Garson of Sex and the City fame and Claudia Christian, who you might know from many film roles. And also, she played Susan Ivanova on Babylon 5. And in the next episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, we have a special interview with Claudia Christian. I'm very excited about it. This is our first interview with an actor who played a character on Quantum Leap. So this is really exciting and can't wait for you guys to hear it. I'm a big Babylon 5 fan. You have to tune in to the next Quantum Leap podcast. Remember to check us out on tvtalk.com. Until next time, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. Happy leaping. Sometimes when I'm quantum leaping, I have really good days. Days when I win the race, stop the bad guy, and kiss the girl. And then there are the bad days. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Sam accuses Bob of lying and Bob lashes out at him. (laughs) We're going to get past the recap and have to end it.
Sam accuses Bob of lying. Sam accuses Bob of lying, and Bob lost it. Bob blah Bob blah Bob blah blah Bob blah blah Bob Bob blah Bob blah Bob Bob blah Bob Bob blah Bob lashes out at him. It's so funny. Bob lashes. Bob's father telling. One more time. You one more time. <laughs> you can get something out okay. of that. Okay, I'll make it work. Sam gets out of the car, cheered by Gerald and Shill. Gerald and Shill. <laughs> Losing it. <laughs> Who had the chocolate? Gerald <laughs> mm. <laughs> and Shill. <laughs> I think there's chemicals in this room. It being leaked into the air. Ruach. <laughs> so nitrous oxide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gerald and Shell. <laughs> What's funny is I didn't even realize I said Gerald. <laughs> are you going to be okay? Is it a bad time to tell you that I brought nitrous oxide for us? <laughs> Is that what's going on? Because uh, <laughs> it's not that funny. Okay. Okay. <sighs> this is why I don't drink. <laughs> Can't function sober. You were at Gerald and Chill. I know.